This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I'm your host, board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, and this week I'm switching it up a little bit. So you know, every week I usually answer your questions that you call in, and I was getting ready to prep for this week and I thought, we got to press pause on this and I need to give sort of an update on what's been going on with the abortion pill, abortion ban landscape in the past two weeks, because I don't know about you but it's confusing. There's been a lot of back and forth. It feels like whiplash. Every five seconds you turn around and then a ruling has changed or a law has changed. And it's been difficult for me to understand. So I thought for my listeners, if you want sort of my take on it, let me dive into it, try to do a high level explainer. So that way you can have a grasp as much as you can and feel informed if other people are saying things that might not be true. So that's what we're doing this week. So I do want to preface this with, I am recording this on April 17th. Why is that significant? Because who the heck knows what could happen in the next week before this podcast comes out next Monday. And in fact, things probably will change because on the 19th, something is potentially going to happen that could change it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump in what happened last week or two weeks ago by now, if you're listening to this, what else is going on in terms of bands and the general landscape? And then what does this mean for you and what can you do? As always, I want to lead whenever I'm talking about a topic like abortion with, I'm not here to convince you that you should agree with abortion for anyone other than yourself. I am a true believer in that my body, my choice means that you also have a choice to not agree with abortion. And I 100% support that for you. I have said this oodles of times on all of my socials that what I am here to really ask you to understand and to embrace is the concept that your opinion is not appropriate for others, meaning that you can be anti-abortion for yourself, but it doesn't give you the right to impose those beliefs on other people. Just like if I agree with abortion and I think that it should be available for everybody, I shouldn't force that on everybody to say, you should choose an abortion and you should choose an abortion. What I'm here to say is that we should understand and respect that this is a very complicated decision for some people. For others, it's not. But it has to do with so much more than abortion. It's it's about bodily autonomy. It's about a lot of things. So I'm asking you to come at it with that lens. And if you don't agree with me, I really want you to listen because I'm here to present things based in facts and numbers. And so with that viewpoint in mind, let's do a quick summary of what happened over the past two weeks. So it all started on April 7th. (laughs) Sounds like a bedtime story, but actually it's a nightmare. And so what happened is on April 7th, we had two conflicting decisions being released on mifepristone. I do have a podcast episode about medication abortion, how to get medication abortion pills in all 50 states. You can go ahead and listen to that. I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, there's a lot of controversy over mifepristone. Mifepristone is the first part of the medication abortion if you're using a two-pill regimen. It is a progesterone blocker. And what it does is it blocks the progesterone receptor, which is what's needed for a pregnancy to continue to develop. So you block that, you stop the ongoing pregnancy development. In the United States, that's the majority of ways of how we do medication abortion is through this combo where first you're given mifepristone and then 24 to 48 hours later, you take mesoprostol. Elsewhere in the world, mesoprostol only medication abortions 
are predominantly done just with mesoprostol. And these are both very effective, safe medication regimens. However, the issue in the United States was that there was a lawsuit filed in Amarillo, Texas with a federal judge named Matthew Kuzmarek. And it matters that he's a federal judge because his decisions affect the entire state, not just Texas. This lawsuit was purposely filed in this district with this judge because we know that this judge is not just conservative, but also has a past history of being very anti-choice. He previously worked for a conservative group known as the First Liberty Institute and brought cases aimed at restricting abortion access. And so this lawsuit that was filed was from the anti-abortion legal powerhouse known as the Alliance Defending Freedom, which represents a group of doctors and conservative medical groups that are anti-choice. And the purpose of this lawsuit was to target the FDA's approval of mifepristone, which, mind you, is over two decades old. And what their argument was was that the agency didn't adequately study how safe this drug was because it was granted an accelerated approval. But it actually took three times longer. And because of this kind of approval, it actually got more post-release monitoring than the majority of drugs. So they are claiming that they were citing data from Finland, which is a country that has a national health service and therefore collects data in a much better way than we in the United States, where we have all these patchwork health services. And so they collected data on every abortion performed. And a study there looked at rates of bleeding. They were looking at data from abortions done in 2000 to 2006. And what they said is that in medication abortions, that in this study in Finland, the rates of bleeding and the rates of an incomplete abortion, which means that you would then need surgery to complete it, was much higher than what was seen in the FDA surveillance. And if you hear that, you go, oh, gosh, that is concerning. We should look into that, right? And of course, we take that data point. But the weird thing is, is that this data is completely out of step and completely does not agree with other larger scale reviews from multiple countries, including systematic reviews, including other countries with national health system registries. So for example, a 2013 systemic review that included data from Finland, the UK, China, Canada, the United States, found much lower incomplete abortion rates and much lower hospitalization rates and much lower blood transfusion rates than what the Finnish study showed. So the summary of this is that that one Finnish study, which showed a 15% risk of hemorrhage and a 10% risk of incomplete abortion, was completely not consistent with 87 other studies. And in those 87 other studies in the systematic review, the incomplete abortion rate was 4.8%, the hospitalization rate was only 0.3%, and the blood transfusion rate was only 0.1%. So for this group to cite one study and make that their entire basis of why they're filing this lawsuit, when that one study isn't in line with over 80 others, is what we call cherry picking data to show what you want. And again, it's not that we're not listening to that finished study. If we saw 80 other studies, or even 40 other studies that show the same results, we would be like, hmm, this could be right. And you might wonder, well, how can a study be wrong? And sometimes it has to do with how the data is collected, how the questions are asked, what inclusion criteria you have, exclusion criteria, et cetera, et cetera. So this organization files this lawsuit and on April 7th, Judge Kaczmarek says, yep, they're right. And this is what he does. He then orders a seven-day stay, which says, you know, we know that there's going to be an appeal, so let's see what happens with that process. But basically, his decision agrees with all of these things. He uses ridiculous anti-abortion language. He cites things that are not factually correct. His decision reads like a poorly written blog post.
At the same time, there is another decision that comes out of the state of Washington that does the exact opposite. So in this ruling, which again comes out the same exact day, I think like within an hour of each other, a federal judge in Washington, Judge Thomas Rice, who is from the U.S. District Court of Eastern Washington, issues a decision that in the 17 states that filed this decision that he intends to preserve full access to Mifepristone, regardless of conflicting rulings from Texas, and then later on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which I'll get to. So basically what happens is in Texas, one judge says, Mifepristone, no, we have to take away the FDA approval. It's very dangerous. And another judge in Washington says, no, of course, Mifepristone, we know it's safe. And in these 17 states, we're going to keep being allowed to use it no matter what. So they're completely contradicting each other. And it leads to a lot of like media chaos and misunderstanding of what the heck is actually happening. So then on April 13th, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is based in New Orleans, and there are three federal judges, all three are conservatives, two were appointed by Trump, one was appointed by George W. Bush, and the two judges appointed by Trump upheld part of the decision that Judge Kaczmarek issued just a few days earlier. So what they did in this ruling was they temporarily blocked part of what Judge Kaczmarek ruled in Amarillo, where he wanted to suspend the 2000 approval of the drug Mifepristone. But what this panel did was they voted to allow certain things stand and basically go back in time to the original FDA approval and instructions on dispensing it. So basically what they said was, yes, Mifepristone can stay on the market for now, but we're going to make it harder to get. And what they did was they Instead of allowing it to be FDA approved up until 10 weeks, now it's only approved up until seven weeks. It is not allowed to be dispensed over telemedicine or from pharmacies. So now it has to be dispensed in person from physicians. Non-physicians can no longer prescribe it, which has been happening with, you know, lots of very capable people like midwives and nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And they've also ended a requirement for prescribers to report non-fatal adverse events. So in short, they've kept it on the market, but they've made it more difficult to get. None of this went into effect immediately, however. So then on April 14th, the Department of Justice and Danco, which is a manufacturer of Mifepristone, asked the Supreme Court to intervene on these conflicting rulings. And Justice Alito, who is usually not an abortion friend, issued an order to pause the enforcement. So he said, hold your horses. We got to figure out what's going on here. Give us more time to weigh in. And on April 19th, that Supreme Court order expires. Now you're listening to this after April 19th. So what I'm saying here right now is, you know, out of date. But the point is, is that there were a lot of rulings that went back and forth, creating a lot of massive confusion. And let's add one more really bad thing that went into effect too when it comes to abortion access. So on April 13th, Governor Ron DeSantis, at about 11 o'clock at night, so like in the middle of the night under the cover of darkness, signed legislation that allows a six-week ban to go into effect in Florida. It does not go into effect immediately, and there's some other conflicting things happening in the Supreme Court right now, but it could very well go into effect fairly soon. But if you're listening today, there is no six-week ban in Florida. It is 15 weeks. The reason this is significant is not just is a six-week ban something you should know about, his law also allows for $25 million a year to be sent to anti-abortion centers, also known as crisis pregnancy centers. And if you've been following me along on my other social media, you know that I've covered this topic a lot. And just as a quick review, 
anti-abortion centers, previously called CPCs or crisis pregnancy centers. They are organizations that pretend to be clinics. Sometimes they have doctors on staff. Oftentimes they have no medical people on staff. And their entire purpose is to talk you out of abortion. They are not there to provide true counseling or true options like they say that they do. Because if they did, they would be like every other doctor's office that even Planned Parenthoods that talk about options. Because at the end of the day, I have no skin in this game. You know, legitimate providers who are not here to coerce have no skin in the game. We want you to pick what's right for you if you're pregnant and you didn't plan to be, or you're not sure if you want to remain pregnant. These clinics are often funded by religious organizations. They have been getting government funding. They've been getting more government funding in recent years because of legislation that Trump signed into effect. And now with this six-week ban happening in Florida, this law also earmarks millions and millions of dollars. The reason these quote-unquote clinics are concerning is because they give out misinformation. They give information that's completely false about abortion and the effects of abortion. They have been known to do ultrasounds on people and are not even trained in it or don't have like actual training in the process and how to read it. And so they've been known to accidentally get ultrasounds wrong. They've also been known to do it on purpose incorrectly to either convince people that they have more time to get an abortion and thus that person will wait longer. And then by the time they show up for it, they're too far along. They've also been known to do the reverse. It's very coercive. There are also cases of them not properly cleaning or sanitizing the transvaginal ultrasound probes, the ones that go in the vagina, and that can spread HPV among other sexually transmitted infections. And there have also been cases of people not having background checks and doing literally vaginal ultrasounds on minors. Yeah, if that doesn't turn your stomach, I don't know what does. Proponents of these clinics, quote unquote clinics, say that they fill a void because they help and give resources and money and diapers and clothing to people who need them and want to continue their pregnancy. But they also tend to hold these products hostage until you've completed certain courses I had somebody message me the other day talking about how they were made to memorize Bible verses before they were given diapers. A lot of coercion. So if these were real centers that offered real support, we would be all for them. But we know that that's not the case. And this law that DeSantis signed into effect just helps perpetuate them and honestly harms people. These are fake clinics that set up shop in marginalized areas and areas where people already have poor access to care. They target low-income people. I visited one, I was outside one that was basically a stone's throw from the Florida State University campus in Tallahassee, like the dorms were right across the street. I mean, they know how to get students in. There's just so much coercion and it's so, so bad. So a lot of stuff's happened and hopefully me going through this timeline kind of explained it, but I understand that it's really confusing. And so right now what I wanna do is I wanna give you the facts so that you can be armed with facts and be empowered with information. No matter what happens in the news or what changes with court cases from here on out, you can understand what's going on, how to access these things, and how if somebody says something that doesn't seem right, where you can find information. So it's important to know medication abortion. This is the majority of abortions in the United States. Over half, 54% of all abortions in the United States are via medication abortion. So it's important to note when we see these restrictive laws that it's affecting a lot of people. The whole basis of any sort of mifepristone ban or restriction is political. It's not based in science. We know that this medication has less than half a percent risk of major complications with that really low risk of hemorrhage that I talked about previously. And having a medication abortion is 14 times safer than childbirth. It is remarkably safe, safe, legal, self-managed abortion, either via self-management or telemedicine or being dispensed in person. They're all remarkably safe. 
and that when we put restrictions on them, we are often harming those who are most marginalized who are already having a hard time accessing these medications. And why are they going after these pills? Well, the goal has always been a national ban, right? And that's why pills have been the next frontier, because for people who are making bans happen in states like Louisiana and Alabama and Texas and everywhere else, they know that us being able to get medication abortion pills is our way around this. So that's why they're trying to restrict it and come for it next. One in four people who are able to get pregnant will have an abortion in their lifetime in the United States. So again, you know somebody or you love somebody, or maybe you were somebody who had an abortion. So this affects a lot of people. Mifepristone, like I said, was FDA approved in 2000. With usage up to 10 weeks more recently, the World Health Organization says that it can be used safely up to 12 weeks. While the Alliance for Defending Freedom states that it received an accelerated approval, Approval actually came after a 54-month review period, which is contrasting with a median 15.6-month approval time for all other new molecular entities approved in that year. So the short version of that is that it took three times longer for mifepristone to get approved, so it actually was remarkably well-studied. It was initially developed in France in the 1980s and has been used by 5.6 million people since approval. There's this extra fun little thing that mifepristone has called a REMS criteria, R-E-M-S, and that stands for Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy. What this means is that drugs that have the potential to really harm you or have bad side effects get this extra designation, which means that for your doctor or healthcare provider to prescribe them, you have to do some extra things. And so when it comes to the mifepristone REMS criteria, it involves a few things such as being able to determine how far along somebody is pregnant, being able to make sure they can get emergency care and you have them sign a form and you keep track of it. And it's not based in science, however, when it comes to mifepristone, because we know how safe this medication is. It's not that I'm not for it for really potentially dangerous drugs, but mifepristone isn't one of them. And that's another extra barrier that's put in place when it comes to people trying to access these medications. So here's what happens if it's harder to get mifepristone, if these rulings end up going into effect, if the FDA chooses to enforce it, if local prescribers stop prescribing it. I mean, there's so many ifs because it's a very complicated situation. But let's play the game of you can no longer get mifepristone in the United States, or you can only get it through the really early approval way where it was only up until seven weeks and it required in-person dispensing. You can still get these pills and you could still get them by the mail. And so, you know, I've made it very clear. I'm the executive director of a health education nonprofit, Mayday Health, which helps people understand how to get pills in all 50 states, all zip codes, no matter where you live, no matter what the laws are in terms of bans, because I believe, and those who work at Mayday believe that we deserve access to healthcare. We deserve access to abortion pills, which are remarkably safe. And so folks have asked me, well, how are you going to change your messaging at Mayday? And the bottom line is that, well, we're really not. I mean, we might talk a little bit differently how to get these pills, but you can still get them through the mail. What you can do in order to get mifepristone, if it is restricted or banned in the United States, you can still get it from international prescribers such as Aid Access, either directly that way, or your other option is you can have a mesoprostol only abortion. And if you live in a banned state, you would already have to go through the workaround of using mail forwarding in order to get this. And just a quick note on mesoprostol-only abortions, like I said, totally an option, very safe, very effective. It does require higher doses and therefore it can have more side effects such as diarrhea, nausea, and fever. 
with a slightly lower efficacy, although the rates vary by study. And I've seen some that have said it still has a high efficacy up to 98%, which is still remarkably effective. The major complication rate is the same, less than 1%. So it's very much an option. And like I said, it's something that's used in the majority of medication abortions worldwide. So what do we have to know about all of this medication abortion legal bonanza that has gone on is that, number one, all of these are based on politics, not on science. Number two, you can still get medication abortion pills no matter where you live. It may require additional workarounds. You can get more information at mayday.health to see how. Number three, restrictive bans such as the six-week ban that has been signed into law but is not yet in effect in Florida and bans elsewhere does nothing to decrease abortion. It just decreases access to safe abortion. And it means that people will either have to travel and spend more money and have to deal with more logistical issues or try to get medication abortions via the mail or will have to carry their pregnancy to term and potentially raise a baby that they were not ready to do so or to adopt out, which is not free of its own trauma and should not be something that somebody should feel forced into. And so all of these bans have rippling effects. And we know that with Florida, where it was a state that saw thousands of extra abortions because of people coming from other states in the South, now with them potentially being out of the game, that is a huge access issue for people in the South, and it's going to overwhelm other border clinics as well. And let's just have a quick classes and session for how soon can you figure out how pregnant you are? This is really important because when people hear, oh, a six-week ban, that means that you've got six weeks to figure out if you want an abortion. That's absolutely not true. So let's just pretend that you have got a beautiful, perfect 28-day cycle where you get your period every 28 days. For you, the soonest that you could take a pregnancy test is usually right around when you would have your missed period. That means that if you peed on a stick the day that you were supposed to get your period and it came back positive, you are already four weeks pregnant. Now, I know that sounds weird, right? Because you're saying, but I wasn't pregnant for the first two weeks of that cycle because I didn't ovulate till halfway through. You would be correct. However, when we say that you were quote unquote four weeks pregnant, we are going based off of gestational age, which goes by your last menstrual period. And so you are already four weeks, which means you have two weeks to decide if you want to get an abortion, to coordinate that, to figure that out. That's not that much time. And my very astute social media followers who have said, but Dr. Jen, what about people who have irregular periods or who ovulate at different times, et cetera, et cetera? Like, what if you only get a period once every six weeks? And by the time you pee on a stick, you're six weeks pregnant and you go in for an ultrasound and they go, yeah, you're already six or seven weeks pregnant. Sorry, too late. Exactly. That's why these bans are really restrictive. And I've seen people who've insisted, no, no, you, you're only two weeks pregnant. That's not the case. And I know it seems a little bit confusing, but trust me when I tell you, a six-week ban, I mean, any ban I, I have issues with because it restricts access to healthcare, but something as restrictive as this, just basically, I mean, I feel like in my heart of hearts, I just want to call it a total ban because that's what it feels like. And that's what it is in actual practice for a lot of people. Class dismissed. And one last thing I want to say before we go, that I am not a lawyer and I am not giving any legal advice here for sure, but I can tell you this, the fact that one federal judge, Judge Kazmarek in Amarillo, Texas, the fact that he potentially could set the precedent of revoking an FDA approval, this is unprecedented. This is really something we've not seen before. And you may think, what's the big deal? But what does that stop other judges from doing the same things to other drugs or other therapeutics? And then that has a downstream effect. If pharmaceutical companies 
who need to spend millions, if not billions sometimes, in developing new drugs, they may say, well, why would I bother putting all of that into this when a judge could come along and just strip its approval and then we no longer have a market for our drug? It could totally hinder people actually getting medications they need, novel therapeutics, the development of these drugs. And trust me, I am not a big pharma fan. I have so many issues with the pharmaceutical industry, 100%. But we got to call this what it is. And the fact that we are allowing one judge who clearly has a political bias to interfere with how science is done, that's, that's even too much for me. And, and I can agree with the pharmaceutical companies on this one. This is a big deal. And so if that hasn't gotten through to you yet, because I know the coverage has been really complicated, I want you to focus on that. So I want to wrap this up with knowing that we talked a lot, a lot of updates in terms of the medication abortion landscape. We talked about a six-week ban in Florida. We talked about how you can still get these medications and why this matters and how these drugs are remarkably safe and that it's okay if you do not agree with using them and that you would not use them for yourself. But when we interfere with medication access, we are potentially opening up a huge can of worms when it comes to other drugs, controlling other people, forcing them to continue a pregnancy that is far riskier than ever taking a medication abortion pill. I hope that answered some questions rather than created more questions for you. But as always, call in, let me know if you've got more. And until next week, stay safe, pay attention and head to my socials where I'm covering this stuff all throughout the week. Bye-bye. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body and we're gonna answer them. 